King Ahab told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and even more so, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under the broom tree, and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And so he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have torn down your altars, and have killed your prophets by the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said what are you doing here Elijah and he said I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant they've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword I alone am left and they seek to take my life Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
And so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And so Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now the word of our Lord from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, running to him and greeting him. And so he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, From childhood. And often it has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And so Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible. To him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to keep ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You ever get to that place where you just aren't feeling it? You just don't feel like you used to feel. Perhaps you don't even feel much of anything. There are those times in our lives, those periods and those durations in life when we're just not quite feeling it. We're not feeling what we once felt where we're not 
feeling what we're accustomed to feeling. St. John of the Cross was a 16th century Spanish mystic and he wrote a book, a, a lengthy poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. And in The Dark Night of the Soul, St. John of the Cross was discussing two periods in a believer's life, these dark nights within our souls that God is able to use toward our benefit. And the one dark night is the dark night of reason, where we're filled with doubts, where we're filled with worries about our faith. Where our reason for believing seems to be slipping away and we panic and we wonder, Lord, what's happening? Lord, I believe, but there's some unbelief in me. But there's also a dark night of the emotions, which are characterized, or which is characterized not by necessarily doubt, but by numbness. Painful, dry numbness. Despite popular opinion and conventional wisdom, both of these dark nights are good and beneficial for us. After all, the Lord is able to use both to deepen and strengthen our faith. God is not afraid of the dark night. He is the one who conquers the dark. He is the one who shines His light in the midst of our darkness. And so these dark periods in our lives certainly bring fear to us. They bring worry to us. Lord, what's happening to me? What's going on with me? Why am I not where I used to be? And yes, we would do well to make sure we search ourselves. Wesley even said this. When we don't have that feeling, when we're just not quite feeling it, we ought to search ourselves and see, Lord, is there anything in me? Whether it's sins that I'm committing or good works that I'm omitting from my life, my life Lord, search me. I want to be sure that this darkness is not a darkness of my soul, but instead is a darkness through which my soul happens to be passing through. But the Lord is able to use these dark nights. He's able to use those periods in our lives when we're just not feeling it. In fact, He wants to teach us how to have faith when we're just not feeling it. He wants to teach us how to believe when we sense unbelief, even within ourselves. He's able to use them to deepen and to strengthen our faith. You know, feelings aren't everything, but they surely are something. We like feelings, right? We like to feel good. 
They are gifts from God to us. The Apostle James said, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow of turning. He doesn't waver. He gives all good gifts. And feelings are indeed a good gift. We enjoy them. We find pleasure in them. But what about those times when you just don't have the warm feelings of faith? And what about those times when you just don't feel like remaining faithful? There is a difference. When the feeling is gone, we have an opportunity to transcend the feeling with faithfulness. You've heard the saying, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. The angel said to Elijah, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. It's too much. There's too much ahead. You can't handle it. And so arise and eat. Do what you know to do. Take that cake that has suddenly appeared next to your head. Take that cup of water that has suddenly appeared beside it. And take and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. Elijah had come to the place where he wasn't feeling it, where the feeling was gone, where he was in a moment of despair, a moment of quitting. He even prayed, Lord, just take my life now. Let me be done with it. I'm no better than my fathers, and they're already dead. So let me go with them. But the Lord kept asking Elijah, what are you doing here? See, we, in our, in our cultural context, and really for the last few centuries, we've drawn a, a, a division, a dichotomy, and a dividing line between faith and faithfulness. And we, we kind of, poo-poo faithfulness because you know if you're not feeling like it just don't do it after all if your heart's not in it it really doesn't matter right but we applaud faith because we we connect that with passion and and feeling and you know you really mean it even if you're crazy at least you you got faith But we ought never, I would say we do not, but instead I ought to say we ought not ever justify a man leaving his wife simply because he's lost that loving feeling. The idea of faithfulness despite circumstances, despite feelings or the lack thereof, that idea just a couple of generations ago used to be the norm. 
And it now seems like a novel idea that we would remain faithful despite the absence of feelings. There's no justification for personal unfaithfulness on account of a lack of feelings. You stick with what you commit to. This may sound crazy and completely abnormal in our modern context, but as God's covenant people, we've committed to Him. Let us stick to Him. Even when we're just not feeling it. Even when the feeling seems to be completely gone. Even when we feel numb. Feelings come and go. They always have and they always will. But there are two times when we should always pray. When we feel like it and when we don't. You can always pray. Even when it's not exciting. That probably sounds a little awkward hearing a pastor say, but there are times where we're just not excited about doing those things we ought to do. Other than Emory, what child is excited about eating a bowl of oatmeal? It's good for you. He happens to love it. He gets excited about it. But we don't always enjoy doing those things we ought to do. But that's no excuse for neglecting them. Shame on us who are married if we do that in our marriages and shame on all of us if we do that in our relationship with God. It's in those dark and dry moments that God especially wants to hear from us. And it's in those dark and dry moments that God wants us to pray. And He wants us to pray honestly and He wants us to pray sincerely. He wants us like that father with that, with that boy who is plagued by that evil spirit to say, Lord, I believe, but I've got some unbelief here. Help my unbelief. There are times when we find ourselves like Elijah saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I quit. But fortunately, fortunately, we have a God who's willing and able to provide even in those moments of quitting. Even in those moments of giving up. 
even in those moments where we honestly just cry out to Him and say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And He's willing to tell us to sit and watch. Wait. Listen. And there may be things like great gusts of wind or fire and earthquake. There may be all sorts of spectacular phenomena happening around us. But he calls us to sit and to wait, to watch and to listen. Because he's in that still, small voice. I'm curious, I'll be honest with you, I'm curious about what that still small voice said to Elijah. I'm sure whatever it said, it was exactly what Elijah needed to hear in that moment. It didn't wipe away all the pain. It didn't wipe away all the the lack of feelings. It wasn't that Elijah suddenly felt rejuvenated. Elijah still felt like this is it. I can't do it anymore. But it was enough for Elijah to get up and obey. I want you to go anoint this man over Syria and this man over Israel and then this man to be the prophet who's going to take up your mantle. And notice Elijah was able to be faithful. He was able to obey. There are moments where, like the boy's father from the gospel, where we've done all we know to do, And what we know to do just doesn't seem to be working. We've sought out Jesus' disciples. We've brought our problem, our situation to them. And there's nothing they seem to be able to do to fix it. But Jesus speaks to us. And He says, Do you believe? Because for those who believe... Nothing is impossible. It may seem impossible. It may seem like for all of eternity you've been waiting. It may seem like for all of eternity you may continue to be waiting. But for those who believe, nothing is impossible. And we've got to be big enough... And we've got to be real enough to say, Lord, yeah, I believe. But really, please help my unbelief because that's there too. I'm just not feeling it. I'm tired. 
I'm worn out. I feel like I haven't heard from you in so long. When the feeling is gone, pursue it with passion. read a book by G.K. Chesterton called Man Alive. And it's really written, the title is Man Alive with an exclamation mark at the end of it. It's a crazy, weird book. It's a book about a man who's trying to get back to that place where he feels alive again. So he breaks into his own house to steal the goods just so that he can enjoy his house again, so he can enjoy his goods again. He pursues his wife and steals her away from that sorry joker she's with so that he can have the passion of his marriage again. I don't know what that would look like in a normal world. The guy got arrested and was taken to court and was having to plead his innocence and explain everything. But there are times in our lives where we probably need to get clever and creative in both our faith and our faithfulness. Where we need to pursue with passion what seems to be gone. Because again, that feeling, those feelings, those emotions, that, that feeling of closeness to God, that feeling of excitement about worshiping Him and about seeking Him in prayer, that feeling of joy about being around and among His people, it's a good thing. It's a gift from Him. It's not always there. But it is good. And so it's okay to pursue it as long as we remain faithful. Sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Notice Jesus says, well, what happened to the man? And the man said, I brought him to your disciples and those punks couldn't do anything. And then the disciples say, Lord, what happened? We tried all we knew. We pulled out all the gimmicks and we had the we had the laser light show going on and the smoke machines we were doing all of it the right way what happened why didn't it work Jesus says something kind of peculiar to them well this sort of spirit only only responds to prayer and fasting had the disciples not been fasting Had they not been praying? He points their attention back to a couple of very basic disciplines. If we're not doing the basics, 
in life. then our pursuit is certainly lacking passion. Sometimes we need to get ourselves out into God's big book, His world, His creation. I've... I've been making it a point um, getting in late uh, a good bit lately. I've been making it a point to spend a few minutes outside under the stars. You know, in Metro Atlanta, you don't always get to see the stars, but for some reason in our neighborhood, we've been seeing a lot of lot of stars lately. And in the cold night air, it is breathtaking to look up and to see all of the craziness that is the night sky. And there's this one star, Jeremy and Lindsay know about it. If Jill was here, she would know about it. There's this one star that's been perplexing me since Advent. I don't know where it came from. I kept calling it the natal star. And this huge, bright star. And maybe... I've just needed to see that star for a while. I've needed to have something that would mesmerize me. Something that reminds me that this world is God's big book. The book He's written. And sometimes we need to Get inside and into a good book. Something to pique our interest. Something to get our imagination moving. Something to restore some passion and some zeal. But as we're pursuing that feeling that is gone and as we're pursuing it with passion... We need to be sure to hang on to what we know. To not forsake what's gotten us to here. As I told my sister this past week, we need to lean into Jesus. And when the feeling is gone... Continue on without it. Not forsaking it, not abandoning it, not giving up on it, but continuing on without it. Because the journey lies ahead. And those next steps need to be taken. That feeling will probably, it'll probably catch up down the road a ways. If it doesn't, well, too bad. It's missing out. Because we've learned to press on. We've learned 
to pursue with passion. And we've learned to transcend with faithfulness. We've learned how to have faith when we're just not feeling it. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've been there recently. And perhaps you've been there for some time. Wondering with the psalmist, where are you, Lord? Why are you hiding? Is there something wrong with me? Because I'm just not feeling it. With the psalmist though, we have the opportunity to speak to ourselves and to say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Believe in God. Let's pray.